The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Madison was a midget. Uh, they don't talk about that in history, but that man stood five feet too soaking wet. That's why he had a complex about Jefferson. And Jefferson stood tall, as he did on principle. So when it came to Thomas Jefferson, James Madison was jealous. Probably because Jefferson was getting some. <laughs> Do you have something to say to the class, Mr. Jackson? No, sir. Well, you seem to have shared something with those near you, evidently, with considerable amusement. I'm sure we could use a good laugh, couldn't we? So why not share your contribution with all of us? And tell me, Mr. Jackson, when this term is over, do you intend to sell your textbook as used or brand new? Perhaps, Mr. Jackson, if you did some work, you could offer something much better than a joke. Book sucks off of that. What did you say? I said this book sucks, sir. Jefferson used to sleep with the slaves. The book don't say nothing about that. They don't even say how he even had slaves. Washington neither. So I don't see why I should bust my black ass reading about a bunch of lies. Well, you see, Mr. Jackson, my job is to see that you get your black ass into college. And whether these things in these books be lies or not, your achievement tests that you will be taking are standardized. And you'll have to know all these untruths in order for you to pass them. And how many slaves Jefferson had sex with will not be on the test. And if you fail American history, Mr. Jackson, you'll be sitting here again next year. And you'll have to listen all over again to what my shriveled white Jewish ass has to say. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, September the 26th, 2019. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Well, once again, race and racism make their appearance on the political stage. This time, though, not in the United States, but in Canada, the good. (laughs) The Canadian election was suddenly propelled last week to the world stage over the most trivial of incidents. Justin Trudeau, Liberal Party leader and Prime Minister of Canada, pictured in a blackface some two or more decades ago. Now... Contrary to public opinion, Justin Trudeau is a racist. Always has been, as long as he's been in politics. And this has nothing to do with his recent, very red-faced, embarrassing experience about wearing blackface or brownface, which has really been a distraction from the reality of the situation. We'll make this all very clear right after reminding you that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Subscribe to Just Right on iTunes and follow us on SoundCloud. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, our archive broadcasts, 
and of course where we encourage you to offer your financial support and in so doing become part of our effort to enlighten others about the true nature of freedom and capitalism. No, I don't for a moment believe that Trudeau hates any particular individuals because of their race or ethnicity. I don't think that he's what I would call personally prejudiced on that level. But he is a racist nonetheless, and it is the very things about which he proudly boasts as his political virtues that make him a racist. Trudeau and the Liberal Party of Canada, as well as all of the other federal Canadian parties except, ironically, Maxime Bernier's People's Party of Canada, all pander to identity politics, the politics of collectivism and groups. That collective might be based on race, on religion, on sex and gender, or on any group identity that ignores individuals and individualism. We see this in the pandering to Muslims and the creation of an anti-concept called Islamophobia. We see it in the constant insistence in a separate legal status for Aboriginals. We see it in the so-called inclusion and diversity perversity that are themselves anti-concepts in the manner in which they're used politically. And this is all topped off with the left's constant and unsubstantiated and ridiculous accusations of racism and white supremacy against the one racial group that is most hated by these pretended diversity advocates, the white race. Many people do not differentiate the term prejudice from racist and may use the terms interchangeably. Now, there's nothing particularly wrong with that as long as you keep the proper context in mind when using those terms. And here's a very necessary distinction to make, as stressed in the Universal World Reference Encyclopedia, which was published way back in 1955, based on the definition of race. Quote, It is important to stress the point that race, as a scientific concept, has only to do with physical form. It is not directly associated with intelligence, since all races run the gamut from deficiency to brilliance, nor cultural aptitudes, since anyone in terms of his personal endowments can learn any way of life if afforded the opportunity, nor nationality, nor language. The confusion of race with any of this is to be guarded against, since this leads to racism, which is the utilization of racial differences, actual or supposed, for political ends, end quote. Now, is there anyone out there who can deny that Trudeau plays the racial card for political ends? Trudeau's blackface story exploded last week on Wednesday, September 18th, and on the following day, September 19th, it was the major news story and point of discussion around the entire Western world. So to give us some context and background, I thought we'd kick off our own show today with some of that previous news coverage and reaction, as heard here in my own local media environment in Canada on CTV News. Good to have you with us here on CTV News Channel. I'm Todd Vander Hayden. We're going to begin with this political bombshell. That's what it is hitting Liberal leader Justin Trudeau's re-election campaign over the past 24 hours after issuing an apology on his campaign plane in Halifax when those images first surfaced on Wednesday night of Trudeau wearing racist makeup. Now another instance of Trudeau dressed in dark makeup coming to light today. The video was obtained by Global News. It was shot sometime in the early 1990s, appearing to show young Trudeau dead while covered in dark makeup. There are now three incidents that have surfaced in which Trudeau can be seen wearing the makeup and 
When asked if there were potentially more, Trudeau said he was weary about being definitive about how many times he might have worn black or brown face. Trudeau giving a lengthy news conference in Winnipeg today, a second day of apologies, saying he is sorry to Canadians of colour, racialized Canadians, that his actions were unacceptable. Listen to this. I have dedicated my leadership and my service to Canada to try and counter intolerance and racism everywhere I can, uh, but this has been a uh, personally um, a moment where I've had to reflect on the fact that um, wanting to do good and wanting to do better simply isn't good enough and you need to take responsibility uh, for mistakes that hurt people who thought I was an ally, who hopefully many of them still consider me an ally. CTV's Michelle Boyer is joining us live from Ottawa. In fact, there are a lot of questions here. Some some of the uh, things we heard, Michelle, and some things we still don't know as, uh, as relates to whether there could be other photos, possibly videos out there. We'll, we'll see how it all plays out. This was a, a, a different sort of Justin Trudeau than we've than we've seen before in Winnipeg, Michelle. Yeah, uh, Justin Trudeau. I don't think we've seen him in quite a while. Uh, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't coached. He didn't have media lines. Uh, this was all Justin Trudeau, raw Justin Trudeau. And, uh, from what I'm hearing is that he, it was all him. He wanted this to be this way. He wanted to speak from his heart, his heart, and he wanted Canadians to hear it directly, uh, about his views about what happened and how it happened. Uh, there were some, uh, some key moments, I think. Uh, that we can uh, we could talk about we could talk about uh, that he is extremely embarrassed um, he was embarrassed to the point where he didn't tell any of his staff that these photos existed uh, so when he was vetted he never brought it up he didn't want to because it wasn't he says representative of who he is today and who he w wanted to become back then uh, so he left it out this was a bombshell to his staff. This was a bombshell to the Liberal Party and a very big problem in this campaign. Uh, he also talked about um, why he didn't, uh, why he thought, it, he, why he didn't think anything of it at the time. And he talked about the privileged life that he led, almost sheltered, uh, so he never made that very critical connection that we're learning uh, about now. Take a look at what else he had to say. I am wary of of uh, being definitive about this because the uh, recent pictures that came out I had not remembered uh, and I think the question is uh, how can you not remember that the fact is I I, uh, I didn't understand how hurtful this is to people who live with discrimination every single day uh, I I've always acknowledged that I come from a place of privilege, but I now need to acknowledge that that comes with a massive blind spot. And I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of MPs, a lot of ministers, uh, and there was, again, that sense of shock. And I could tell you that Emerjeet Sohi has just issued a statement on Twitter moments ago. I want to share this with you. 
Uh, I was very disheartened and disappointed to see these images. These indefensible images bring back many painful memories of racism that I and other uh, racialized Canadians have experienced throughout our lives. The Prime Minister has sincerely apologized and expressed regret. The Justin Trudeau that I have come to know over the last four years is a champion of diversity and inclusion and a strong ally of racialized communities. From defending the rights of the LGBTQ community to speaking up against Islamophobia to increasing funding for anti-racism work, he has demonstrated this through his actions. I have spoken with the Prime Minister to convey my feelings and reiterated that we must redouble our efforts to end racism in this country. I have spent my life fighting racism in my city and my country, and I will continue to do so because there is more work left to do. So that's the latest from Amarjeet Sohi. Mm -hmm. Who is, of course, running for re-election and is a liberal. We want to be clear. Uh, the other viewpoint here, Absolutely. Michelle, not to be cynical, but on the issue of why nope. Trudeau didn't come forward uh, previously, there are those who will say, well, maybe he didn't want to torpedo his political career by admitting that there were things that he shouldn't have done and images out there that could possibly do him some significant damage. Absolutely. Uh, and Justin Trudeau says that he didn't remember the third video, the, that there would be another instance. Uh, but you also have to take into calculus that there's a great amount of hypocrisy here uh, because, you know, even though he says that, you know, if it were the case of a liberal candidate and it's a case by case basis, this is what he said during his press conference, likelihood is that that person would be cut off uh, in a hot minute. Uh, you know, so there's that's what people are bringing up now is like, well, you know, why are you the exception? He was asked if he would resign. The answer uh, comes down to a no. He's going to leave that decision to Canadians October 21st. Let's bring in our commentators here. For the NDP, we've got Robin McLaughlin joining us from Ottawa. Liberal strategist Serena Rehal is in Toronto. Conservative strategist Kate Harrison is in Ottawa. Kate, let me start with you on this. Uh, your read on what we heard in the last hour or so from Justin Trudeau in Winnipeg. Well, to your point, Todd, I think there was uh, more emotion um, and a bit more sincerity uh, in the apology that Trudeau offered today. I think he absolutely had to come out today uh, and be a little bit more uh, definitive and a little bit more explanatory in terms of how and why he decided uh, to, to engage in this behavior. Uh, I think it's a bit too early to say whether or not uh, Canadians are going to believe uh, his apology and, and accept that sincerity. Uh, but for many people, I'm not sure that, that any apology is going to be enough I think that, you know, to, to your earlier point, this strikes at uh, the, the brand of the, the Trudeau government uh, and Justin Trudeau himself. Uh, and for a lot of people, uh, the actions are inexcusable, uh, they're racist, and they're hypocritical. Uh, and I'm not sure that an apology is going to make that any better. He couldn't count how many times he had engaged in this behavior, which has been um, racist for some time. Like, it hasn't been, uh, this is not something new. Uh, it's not an epidemic sweeping the nation. It's Justin Trudeau who has to be accountable for his actions. It's not a collective learning opportunity for all of us. He has to be the one to take accountability, and he only did that in part today. Mm. Serena, what's your read? I think that you, we have a leader who has apologized. He didn't make any excuses. He called the act for what it was. It's a racist act. 
Um, and he will be confronted by this on the campaign trail, and he should be. And I think, you know, he spoke to racialized Canadians for a reason. He understands that for people who saw their prime minister as an ally, this was almost a betrayal. Um, that said, you know, I think he uh, needs to continue to come out on this. He, he will continue to have to address this, and he has to continue to take responsibility because, frankly, this was surprising to people because it goes so against his brand and his track record as prime minister. Mm, yeah, and, and Robin, I just want to get your read on on whether you think that uh, all of these apologies will be enough for people to say, you know what, he apologized, he was stupid, he was an idiot, he admits it, um, we're all human, uh, and uh, this is not going to be the deciding factor for me on the 21st of October, or are we looking at a real watershed moment? Well, I think regardless, this is a watershed moment. Uh, you know, I think Serena's right that he does need to keep uh, demonstrating that he's taking accountability for this, and he understands the impact. Because when you ask for forgiveness, you can't just ask for forgiveness because you apologized. It's not a box you check. It's an act. It's something you do every day. You're demonstrating that remorse and that understanding that you're trying to gain from the damage you've caused. But where I think the challenge is for Trudeau is that voters want to know their leaders. And right now, I think there's a lot of people questioning who Justin Trudeau really is because he certainly has at least paid lip service, perhaps in people's eyes, to, uh, you know, obviously issues of diversity and multiculturalism and feminism. And now perhaps they're questioning, is this the person that we voted for and believed in? And we always knew identity politics was going to be a center of this campaign. Uh, we have Bill 21 in Quebec, the secularism law that bans teachers and other public servants from wearing uh, religious symbols. We have Maxime Bernier in the People's Party of Canada that are pretty cozy with white supremacists. And we have the first ever racialized leader of a national party. Now we have a prime minister who may have just lost the credibility to be a voice for progress on this conversation. Shame on the NDP's Robin McLaughlin for suggesting that Maxime Bernier and the PPC are, quote, pretty cozy with white supremacists, end quote, which is an outright lie and blatantly contradicts the PPC policy of not tolerating racists or supremacists, let alone you know, if you take a look at the makeup of the party, you can see that this is just not true. Now, I cannot possibly understate both the irony of and the proof of Trudeau's racism in the defense offered by liberal incumbent Amarjeet Sohi when he said, quote, The Justin Trudeau I have come to know is champion of diversity and inclusion and a strong ally of racialized communities, from defending the rights of the LGBTQ community to speaking up against Islamophobia to increasing funding for anti-racism work. He has demonstrated this through his actions, end quote. Well, yes, <laughs> what Trudeau has demonstrated through these very actions, being cited as a virtue, is that Trudeau is indeed a racist. He's a politician who is utilizing, quote, racial differences for political ends, end quote, which is the direct definition of racism. That's what he's doing. Another thing I can't help drawing attention to is how the media uses the racist phrase, quote, unquote, racialized Canadians and communities of color. Now, that can mean only one thing, and it, usually, <laughs> and it means not white, which is a racist way of thinking. Have you noticed that white people are the only people being called racist over and over and over again? So how come I'm not racialized? I'm white. Is there no such thing as a white race? And consider the word racialized itself. 
To be racialized suggests that something has been done to you if you've been racialized. And it's true. It means that you've been politicized to be used as a pawn to be played towards someone else's political ends. That's what it means to say that you've been racialized. And if you're racialized, then it specifically means you have been politicized. And before you were politically racialized, you were something else, something far more significant and real. You were an individual, an entity capable of possessing individual rights, responsibility, and due in accord of fairness and respect. Having been racialized, you no longer possess the status of an individual, but the status of a member of a group. And you as an individual have been politically marginalized in the act of being so politicized. This applies equally to white people as much as it does to non-whites. The difference being that the whites are the supremacists and the privileged, while the non-whites are the oppressed and disadvantaged. Neither of these fantasies is reality. I can think of nothing more demeaning and disrespectful to all individuals, no matter what their skin color or ethnicity. Now here are just rights Robert Vaughn and Salim Mansour, who of course is also a PPC candidate in this election, reacting to the whole black-faced farce. Your impressions on the entire story of Justin Trudeau dressing up in blackface? Actually, it is a non-story that is being exaggerated and inflated it in. No, he's not a racist. He was not raised in a racist household. Canada is not a racist society. So Justin wearing a black face or wearing a brown face was doing what Justin wanted to do all his life. He's a B-grade drama teacher. He's been wanting to be on stage. He's now on the biggest stage that he can play on, that is the Prime Minister of Canada. But as an actor, putting on a black face or a brown face is just part of the actor's costume. There's nothing to apologize for. I mean, what is so cringing, what is so absolutely downgraded in our discourse in this country and in the West that somebody who wears a costume and then that costume shows up, I mean, in this case, 20 years ago, shows up, and he has to go back 20 years and apologize for a costume he wore, never imagining that he would be on the greatest stage in the country that is acting as a prime minister. So no, this is nothing to do about racism. It is about, as the leader of our party, Maxim Bernier said, very appropriately, it is about uh, hypocrisy. He has been running around for the last four years as the prime minister of this country, shrugging his shoulder, raising his eyebrows, you know, moaning and groaning if there was somebody saying something, questioning his policies on the issue of diversity, strength, multicultural, so on, so forth, immediately pulling up the gear and saying, you know, this guy is a bigot, this guy is a racist. And he could have been, if he was honest, he was straightforward, if it was my case, you know, I would have said yes. Suppose I had gone up on the, on, on, on the stage, you know, dressed as a Romeo, you know, painted up. They say, yeah, I was playing Romeo. Do you have any objection to that? The serious issue, and this is where we have been dumbed down by the media, where the media is running with all this nonsense, is this man doesn't deserve to be the prime minister. He has to be challenged. He has to be answering the question about SNC-Lavalin affair, where he was trying to create a two-tier justice system. He was putting his finger on the rule of law. He is the guy who ran as the one with the greatest sense of empathy and appreciation about women and others, minority, and he threw out of his caucus 
two of the bravest and the strongest women, the former Attorney General, Jody Wilson Rebu, uh, who would not bend to his wishes or the wishes of his, you know, uh, uh, buddies, uh, the, the, the clerk of the Privy Council, Michael Wernick, or his principal secretary, Gerald Butt, uh, and she held to the position that was the right position to hold on to SNC Lavalan affair. He stomped all over her and he dismissed her, demoted her, and finally she was driven out of the caucus. Same with the Treasury Board President, Jane Philpott, who was driven out or who stepped down. And my question is, this series of issues, I mean, SNC-Lavalan affair, Admiral Mark Norman, embracing of Omar Khadr and giving him $10 million as a settlement, which is directly mocking our greatest ally and partner, the United States and their justice system. And, and we can run a whole host of things. His promise of balancing the budget and the 2015 election, and he has blown the entire economy, you know, our deficit is now approaching our, our GDP. So those are the issues for which he is totally inept, totally, you know, incapable of being a leader of a G7 country, that we should be driving him out, showing him the door. It's not about a painted face of a guy, you know. But he's the guy who's making the rules. And by him, I mean all of the progressives make the rules that one does not wear black face or brown face, unless you're born with a brown face. <laughs> and, but he makes the rules, we're supposed to follow the rules, and if yeah. we break them, right. we're pilloried. Yeah. We're dead in the water. If Andrew Scheer, if Maxime Bernier, if any conservative or right-wing so-called leader out there wore blackface 20 years ago, that would be the end of their career. No question about it, you'd never hear the end of it. Absolutely. However, are you ready to give him a free pass for breaking the rules that he and his kind have actually placed on everybody? Apparently though, not himself? Yeah, no, I'm not ready to give him the free pass on breaking the rule because he broke the rule on the most serious issues. You know, rule of law, our justice system, the tradition of how the Attorney General has to be independent of all political interferences. So he has broken the rule. But the issue that you raise, that the left makes the rule on these social issues, and then they break it. Uh, well, the left are the very definition of hypocrites and hypocrisy on any number of issues, you know, whether it is about climate change and about carbon emission. They jet around the world in private jet planes or yacht and then they come and talk to people who are common people and tell us, you know, we have to cut back, we have to pay carbon tax and so on and so forth. Look, they fit to the letter T, the definition of a hypocrite. Salim is quite right in calling this whole scandal a non-story and acknowledges that Trudeau is not personally prejudiced against other individuals who are not members of Trudeau's race. Though, of course, Salim uses the term not racist in this context, where I would have used the term not prejudiced. And, of course, Salim has identified all of the very real issues from which this non-story has provided a distraction. I'm almost tempted to say that Trudeau doth protest too much in his willingness to apologize for a nothing. My impression is that he almost relishes this issue to cover for his incompetence on so many other levels. I mean, he must know that deep down, all the virtue signaling being expressed by those who are judging him and his crocodile tear apologies will play in his favor eventually. Because nobody really cares about an actor wearing blackface several decades ago as some sort of critical factor on who to vote for in 2019. 
in the back of many voters' minds goes something like this. Well, if that's the worst thing the opposition can find about Trudeau, and since Trudeau was so upfront and honest about apologizing for this trivial act, well, then he's still deserving of my vote. <laughs> but you know, personally, I think this whole farcical controversy has given Trudeau a tremendous opportunity to play the voters with a narrative that could easily work to his advantage and to continue his racist agenda. Now, apparently, I'm not the only one who sees it this way. Up next is Tucker Carlson, as heard on the September 19th broadcast of Fox News, pointing out how the virtue signaling is always a cover for the sin. So the Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, got caught wearing blackface, and a lot of people are pretending to be very, very surprised. But are you really surprised? In fact, you probably could have guessed it, actually. It's a little like finding out that your super-sensitive brother-in-law, the one who tells you he's a feminist, the one who's always scolding you for your sexism, is in fact hitting on the babysitter. But of course he's hitting on the babysitter. The virtue is always a cover for the sin. That's the key to understanding the modern left. Whatever they're accusing you of doing, they're doing themselves, but more enthusiastically. And that's definitely the story of Justin Trudeau. Like your brother-in-law with the ponytail, Trudeau brags about being a feminist. Use the wrong word in his presence and he'll launch into a self-righteous lecture. Justin Trudeau may be the most sanctimonious head of state on planet Earth. So of course he was leading a secret life as a racist. That's why he's so sanctimonious, so you won't notice. Turns out there are now at least three separate instances of Justin Trudeau wearing blackface. And as he conceded today, there could absolutely be more. You left us with the impression there was only one other incident. And since then, Global News has released a video which seems to show that there was at least a third incident. So exactly how many times have you darkened your skin with makeup in an act that you have yourself described as racist? Uh, I uh, shared the uh, moments that I recollected, uh, but I recognize that uh, it is something absolutely unacceptable to do. Uh, and yeah, I, I appreciate calling it makeup, but it was blackface. Uh-huh. Unacceptable. But he did it at least three times, maybe more. How many times have you worn blackface? Probably right around zero. Try not to be judgy here or anything, but even adjusting for youthful indiscretion three times on camera, that's a lot. It's an awful lot, actually. What's going on with Justin Trudeau? Well, it turns out, and he explained this today, that Justin Trudeau suffers from an especially virulent case of something called privilege. I have always acknowledged that I come from a place of privilege, but I now need to acknowledge that that comes with a massive blind spot. Uh-huh. Got that? White privilege is the problem here. That's Trudeau's explanation. If you're not listening carefully, it might sound like Justin Trudeau just took responsibility for what he did. Oh, but no. Just the opposite. He transferred it. When Trudeau blames privilege, he's moving responsibility for what he did from himself to the rest of us. In other words, I did something awful because society itself is rotten. Therefore, and this is the key, therefore, I need to keep telling you how to live your life. It's not a confession, it's a justification. And the only people dumb enough to buy it are the news media. Of course, the dumbest people in the world. Over at CNN, for example, Don Lamont was deeply impressed. 
Wow. The, I, a leader apologizing that it's just it seems odd yeah. doesn't it i mean because well, um, we have one who doesn't but he says you know he says he didn't think it was racist at the time now he knows better what do you think of that but right. i do have to say this before we go think about it however you want to think about it. it it when someone apologizes wow we ne we don't we don't often see that here especially a world leader who's saying i should have known better and I'm sorry. You yeah, can feel about it however you want, but that, to me, that does mean a lot. I got to go. Thank you. It means a lot to Don Lamont. It really does. What a difference a year makes. If you can remember back all the way back to when Megyn Kelly of NBC found herself under attack in pretty much the same way, the difference was that Megyn Kelly never wore blackface. She wouldn't do that. She's not Justin Trudeau. She just made the mistake of not seeming quite offended enough in a TV segment by certain Halloween costumes. For that crime, Don Lamont told us she must be destroyed. It's gonna be honest. Megan is 47 years old, she's our age. There has never been a time in, that, in her 47 years that blackface has been acceptable. I wonder how much diversity she has on her staff. I don't know, I'm not there, but I would imagine there is not a lot because people would have informed her. This is what people of the larger culture don't understand about racism and about privilege. Uh-huh. Keep in mind, and this is universally true, it was true of Jimmy Swaggart, it's true of Justin Trudeau, and probably true of Don Lamont. The more sanctimonious you are, the more you're hiding. You want to know who's up to no good? Look at the people who are tugging their chin and, oh, I would never do that. And yet suddenly Don Lamont went from that, I wonder how much diversity she has on her staff, to, oh, I'm so glad that Justin said sorry. Did Don Lamont have a change of heart? Is he now a forgiving man? Or could it be that because Justin Trudeau is a powerful leader on the left, he gets a pass no matter what he does. I think you know the answer because, of course, you've seen it before. Earlier this year, the governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam, was caught wearing blackface. Actually, maybe it was a Klan hood. He still won't tell us which it was. But whatever it was he was wearing, blackface or a Klan hood, Northam, a liberal Democrat, decided he didn't need to resign over it. The left pretended to care for a few minutes. Ooh, we're so upset. And then they forgot the whole thing ever happened. Northam himself said that the incident showed, and I'm quoting, deep wounds in Virginia. What he did showed deep wounds in the whole Commonwealth of Virginia. In other words, Northam himself wasn't guilty of anything, blackface or a Klan hood. It was the people of Virginia who were responsible. They had the collective guilt, and that guilt could only be expiated by giving Ralph Northam more power. Because that's what it's always about, always. It's about power. When you make a mistake, it means you're a sinner and you must be damned. You probably don't have enough diversity in your offices, Don Lamont. But when they screw up, it's society's fault, meaning it's your fault. So they've got you coming and going. It's pretty nice, actually. It's a good trick. Being woke means never having to say you're sorry. going on everybody's mad you know we still got the race thing the black white thing and I'm gonna clear it up right now all right people I am NOT a racist man far from it as a matter of fact I'm learning to be black from young white kids now That's, I don't know when they passed me but they are officially better at it than I have ever been 
They just walk around angry, just, yo, brother, represent. The only time I want to hear a white guy represent is if he's my lawyer. I'm sorry, it throws me. Whenever a white guy starts talking to me like he's black, it's weird, man. It's like a cat barking. It's not natural. Right? They walk around, they got their pants sagging, their hats on backwards. They start talking to me about the evils of the white man. So now I find myself in this backwards, like, Twilight Zone position where I am actually defending white people to other white people. I'm talking to the kids like, look, the white man ain't all bad. Nah, give him a chance, he'll grow on you. Hell, I happen to be a fan of the women. That's right, I said, love black women, love white women too. That's why I can't really hate white men. Cause we need them for breeding. Wow, can you imagine a white comedian telling a joke like that? Certainly not in today's politically correct and racialized climate. You are listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Though he nailed a fundamental truth, Tucker Carlson only revealed the tip of the iceberg when it came to his statement that the key to understanding the modern left is that the virtue is always a cover for the sin. That's true and helpful. But the question that begs asking is, what is the greater sin that can so broadly be applied to the left? Apologizing for wearing blackface? Being hypocritical? Those are merely symptoms. The sin of the left is to think in terms of the collective, instead of thinking in terms of the individual. Every other manifestation of that sin emanates from that premise. Once you think only in terms of groups, then every evil becomes a possibility, and history is replete with a demonstration of that truth. And that's why Carlson was able to observe that it sounds like Trudeau took responsibility, but no, he's transferring responsibility from himself to society. It's not a confession, it's a justification. Trudeau gets a pass because he's on the left, pushing collective guilt to gain power. Again, demonstrating how leftists like Trudeau see everything, including morality itself, as a collective phenomenon. One of the things that the left does under the banner of the virtue being the cover for the sin is constantly insisting that racism is a phenomenon of the right, which is exactly backwards. All racism emanates from the left because the left is identified as the political polarity that represents collectivism, whereas the right is the political polarity that properly represents individualism. Individualists like myself are not even capable of thinking in terms of race. It is outside our scope of consideration and an individual's skin color, ethnicity, or other attributes associated with race are not factors in anything we think or do. The whole subject and discussion of race, quote-unquote, utterly bores and offends us because it's meaningless except to those who seek evil political ends. In contrast to individualists, collectivists, which include socialists, communists, fascists, progressives, view everything and everyone in terms of groups. Individuals don't count. This defines the very heart of identity politics that is based on race. And as I've always insisted in the past, true identity politics 
should concern itself only with the political polarities of left and right, where the identity of those ascribing to either polarity actually does matter and is of consequence because left and right represent very specific actions and ideas. And that's why Andrew Scheer, ostensibly the leader of a party called Conservative, is a complete ideologue of the left because he caters to identity politics and rejects individualism and individualists outright. All variant ideologies of the left lead to the condition of tyranny. Those on the right, to the condition of freedom. The left represents groups and forced collectivism. The right represents individualism and freedom of association. The left represents illusionary group rights. The right true individual rights, including life, liberty, and property. The left assumes political authority based on the initiation of force. The right on the principle of consent, which allows for the retaliatory use of force. The left restricts speech and supports censorship. It has no tolerance for differing views. The right supports freedom of speech and would defend the rights of people with differing views to speak. The left supports the whim of the elite. The right supports the rule of law. The left includes all forms of collectivism, communism, socialism, fascism, and even right-wingers, quote-unquote, who support leftist agendas, like the Conservative Party of Canada. The right supports freedom and capitalism, and does so on principle. The left seeks something for nothing, taken by fiat. The right, something for something, exchanged in free trade. The left uses anti-concepts like social justice to rationalize its something-for-nothing evil. The right establishes real justice with due process and an objective court of law to adjudicate disputes. The left wants wealth redistribution, its euphemism for theft, so that it can rob Peter to pay Paul. The right, wealth creation, which is a shortcoming that is singularly avoided and evaded by the left. The left is about some having political power over others, while the right is about equality in the social environment of freedom. The left operates on subjectivism, unreality, and without context. The right operates on reason, reality, and objectivity. The left promotes violence and hate, which is all it has given its values. I mean, when persuasion fails, just use force. The right promotes tolerance and is intolerant of violence. Consent is the operative principle. And on and on we could go. This is but a fraction of the list. You could just as easily create a list of the corresponding consequences of each political polarity. For example, on the left we will find racism, sexism, white supremacists, black supremacists, Islamists, who all support the listed values of the left. While on the right, you would find a society of racial and group tolerance and acceptance. Both the theory and practice of left and right have been demonstrated over and over again with unfailing consistency once you understand the proper definition of each polarity. In fact, the best way to define the right and why we call this show Just Right is by using a very simple generic dictionary definition, done in accordance with or conformable to moral law or to some standard of rightness, equitable, just, righteous, conformable to truth or fact, conformable to a standard of propriety or to the conditions of the case, proper, fit, suitable, holding one direction as a line, straight and direct. And of course, the left represents the exact opposite of that definition.
And right now, in Canada, there is only one federal political party that is in the right by being on the right, a party of individualism, though like most on the right, is forced to avoid openly using that polar identity because of the way the left has misrepresented it, and that is, of course, the People's Party of Canada. Here's Maxime Bernier, the leader of that party, as we recorded him when he was in London on September 10th. Yeah, what do we want to do at the end? It's to work for all Canadians. And when people are saying that we want, don't want to work for some minority in our country, that's not true. Because the ultimate minority, it is the individual. And when we want to speak about individual freedom and personal responsibility, we are speaking for a minority in this country. And that's what we want to do. So being in politics at the end, it's to work for every Canadian. And I want to give you an example. When I was running for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada, I received a call from an organization and they told me, Maxime, you must come to speak with us because we have a lot of our people in our organization that are members of the Conservative Party of Canada and you have an election soon and they don't know for which candidates to vote. And they told me every candidate went to that organization and that was a Muslim organization in Toronto. And uh, they went and they had a questions and they said, you're the only one who didn't come. And I said, I will be there. And they told me, we are asking the same questions to every candidate because we'll put that on our website and our members will be able to judge, to decide for which candidate they will vote. So I said, okay, I'll be there. And I'm telling you that example because it's what I believe deeply. And I answered a question, I was there, and at the end the lady looked at me. That's the most important question, Mr. Bernie. If you don't have the answer right now, you can think about it 10, 15 minutes, or you can go back to Ottawa and write the question, write us back your answer. And I said, my God, what is the question, you know? <laughs> and she said, you know, it's the last one, but our members will look at that question to decide for which candidate they will vote. I said, okay, can you just ask the question? And so, what will you do for the Muslim community? I said, that's the question? She said, yes. I look at her, I said, nothing. <laughs> but, but I will do everything for you as a Canadian. I won't do... And... And that's the same thing for the Christians community, for the Jewish community, for all these communities. You know, for me, they're Canadian first, and I'll do everything for these people as Canadians. And that's the way we are doing politics. No pandering. If you're part of a group, that's okay. I respect you, but I want your support because you like our policies and you like the principles of our party. And I can tell you that we won't do any compromise with that. You cannot compromise on your principles. And that's why it's important to have this debate about values, about what we believe in in this country. We don't have this debate anymore. Yeah, it's certainly a debate we don't have anymore. 
So now, in the interest of broadening and concluding our own discussion about race and racism, up next on this side of our bumper break is a continuation of the story begun in our show opener today from the long-concluded and socially powerful television series, Boston Public. And on the return side of the bumper, the conclusion of that storyline, which I think speaks to the fundamental truths of the issue before us. Hey, what's up? What's up is... I'm being fired. Excuse me? Steven? He's being asked to resign. Well, hold on a second. Why, why wasn't I notified as department head? You were notified. That's why you're here. Where's his union rep? We're not required to have a representative. Oh, come on. That won't. You can't. It's an ambush. He has tenure. He gets a hearing. Harvey, could you please excuse us for a second? Okay, first of all, the notice to me stinks. Second, you first have to bring him in and give him a chance to fix whatever the problem is. Not when the problem is unfixable. We don't... Exactly what is the problem, Scott? He's a bigot. We'll set up a more formal hearing if that's what you want to do. I do. Fine. I have nothing against colored people. See, Harvey, that's it right there. You don't refer to African Americans as colored people. Stephen... One day it's colored people, then it's Negroes, then it's black, then African-American. I should just be safe and say African-American, black, colored Negroes. Is this why you're firing me? Because I'm off on terminology? No, I want to fire you because you're an embarrassment. God. A detective comes here saying we have a gunman. You knee-jerk. Is he black? They were looking for a criminal. So you immediately conclude he's black. Statistically, most of them are. But if you're telling me that I have no right to fear a criminal just because he is black, then you're the one who's a racist. Harvey. It isn't just me. Even Jesse Jackson is afraid of them in groups. <sighs> Lauren, is there anything you'd like to say on Harvey's behalf? No. All right, let me give this some thought. I'll make the final decision tomorrow. This is your defense? That's all, Harvey. Hi, Harvey. You're black, right? If memory serves me. Do I offend you? Harvey, what do you think about black people? Oh, I'm for them. I support affirmative action, and I always have, and I'm against the death penalty. What has that got to do with blacks? Well, you know, they commit most of the murders. Right. I forgot. I know I'm old-fashioned, but am I a racist? Yes, Harvey. You are an old-fashioned racist. The truth is, if you would give me a pop quiz, which student is what color, I'd probably fail. The truth is, I don't even notice.
Well, Harvey Lipschitz is a decent man. It's not about whether he's a nice guy. Well, that certainly can be a factor. It is not a factor. Stop looking at the world as a little girl in love, Lauren, and take this matter seriously. What did you just say to me? All right. You want to give the guy another hearing? I suppose we owe him that. Tomorrow, 10 o'clock. No, Scott, what did you say to me? I'm saying, if you're ever going to excel at leadership, you're going to have to learn to be tougher. Is that right? <laughs> well, I I'm standing up to a militant vice principal. Isn't that tough? All right. No. You are acting out of an overdeveloped sense of charity because you haven't got the heart to fire a sweet old man, despite the fact you know he shouldn't be teaching. What do you mean you don't choose to speak? This meeting is about presenting your side. Well, I don't care to. Harvey. We have something in common, Lauren. Neither one of us could think of a single thing to say on my defense. Well, unless you say something, we... I am what I am, Scott. And you don't like me. Now, what can I say to change that? Can I say a word or two? Come on in. Is he a nut? A big one? A racist? Probably. But he doesn't come from hate, and the kids know that. Well, a lot of bigotry here does come from hate, Marla. And his behavior helps foster it, even if it's unintentional. There's no such thing as a benign bigot. Can I make one point which I think is obvious? What? You can all go to hell. Yo, Mr. Harper. Mr. Harper. Is it true? Is what true, son? You getting rid of lipshits? I don't know. What are your thoughts? I think it'd be a mistake. Hmm. It doesn't offend you when he says it's his job to get your black ass into college? Not really. Why not? Because he will. That man will get my black ass into college. Steven, you know, I, I agree that there may be no such thing as a benign bigot, but with Harvey's bigotry, at, at least they seem coming. Oh, and that's good. Could be worse. Such as? Such as a, a, a liberal teacher who exudes tolerance, whose test scores somehow come out higher for the whites than blacks, who, who disciplines the black problem students slightly harder than she does the whites, who doesn't even know she's doling out disparate treatment. Lauren, are you saying you're a racist? I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is... Harvey's bigotry, it just, it seems to be all talk. Well, he can stay. Conditioned on his attending racial sensitivity seminars. Immediately. Thank you. Mm -hmm. There are quite some powerful lessons to be learned from what we just heard. But I think that last recommendation was poor advice. Sensitivity training is not the same as teaching respect. 
And when Principal Harper asked the student if he was offended when being told that the teacher's job was to, quote, get your black ass into college, end quote, remember the context of that comment from our show opener. You'll recall it was the student himself who first used the term, my black ass, and the teacher merely responded to that very cue. In fact, he added his own, my white shriveled Jewish ass, if you remember that. So who was really playing the race card in that exchange? Why wasn't anyone asked about being offended by that second reference to a white ass? (laughs) I mean, neither of those usages were intended nor perceived as being racism. Sensitivity seminars will never be able to address issues of this complexity, and if there's one thing that's just as offensive as racism, it's being forced to attend a sensitivity training seminar to correct for a problem that doesn't even exist. If anything, we should have toughness training seminars. Then there wouldn't be so many people being quote-unquote triggered by their oversensitivity. Again, something quite different from being respectful to one another, which in my humble opinion, both the black student and the white teacher were in their open and frank exchange about what they thought about early American history and slavery. There are different kinds of perceived racism, each prone to differing interpretations. Trying to exaggerate and give offensive power to otherwise innocuous use of certain racial terms is counterproductive, to say the least. So to wrap up, let us once again reflect upon this reminder from philosopher-novelist Ayn Rand, who wrote that racism is the lowest, most crudely primitive form of collectivism which means, in practice, that a man's to be judged not by his own character and actions, but by the characters and actions of a collective of ancestors. So, in other words, what she's saying is a notion of racism invalidates the very idea of free will, which in turn makes any notions of individual responsibility or morality invalid. Then Rand makes this interesting point. Like every other form of collectivism, racism is a quest for the unearned. It is a quest for automatic knowledge, for an automatic evaluation of men's characters that bypasses the responsibility of exercising rational or moral judgment, and above all, a quest for an automatic self-esteem or pseudo-self-esteem. Now here we have virtue signaling, pretending to have virtues that one does not have and that one has not earned. Racism is an evil, irrational, and morally contemptible doctrine, but doctrines cannot be forbidden or prescribed by law. Now, this is exactly the view that Maxime Bernier has been expressing and why he so strongly supports freedom of speech, which, of course, Rand does too, when she says, Just as we have to protect a communist's freedom of speech, even though his doctrines are evil, private racism is not a legal but a moral issue and can be fought only by private means. Here again, Ayn Rand was using the term private racism, where I might have used the term racial prejudice, prejudging people before you know enough about their character and actions in order to be able to judge them objectively. I'll leave you with that thought, as you are once again invited to join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. To black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright And I don't think black people like it When white kids imitate their culture Which I can totally relate to Because as an Irish American I can't stand it when I'm in a club And I see some black guy With a Guinness in one hand And a shillelagh in the other (laughs) 
and he's just jigging away. <laughs> so, oh, Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling. <laughs> I have a good friend who's black, and in the summertime, he wouldn't go in the sunlight, and I was like, why would that be? And he explains to me that within the black community, it's better to remain a lighter skin tone. Like, it's cooler to other black people. Which I thought was weird, because, like, white people tan, right? So it's like, white people want to become darker skin, but black people want to remain lighter skin. So we're all meeting in the middle. <laughs> it's as if we all just want to be Mexican. <laughs> I'm just kidding, nobody wants to be Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would suck. <laughs> I am going to get beat up for that, I'm pretty sure. No, I get out of here before the kitchen.